Live from the Virtual Summit, the Gore presents Sales Training Boot Camp with Josh Sigmund and Bill Boma. Today's topic, pouring into your team through leadership. So you are in the class that is pouring into team through leadership. All right, I am teaching this class with Josh, and I'm honored to be teaching with him. And I am actually glad that he's not standing here next to me because last time I taught with him, I had to stand in a chair to even be anywhere near his level. So I look much taller without having him next to me. So I really like it this way. So I don't know if we can figure that out in the future when I teach with Josh. But no, I love teaching with Josh, especially this class. As him and I were talking through the class, um, he is just such a great leader, um, and I love everything he brings to the table. But both him and I, we have so many issues and problems in developing this leadership. We have so many stories of what we've gone through. So we really want to help you guys with that and how we're getting there. And, and, and pretty much leadership and our culture that we're going to try and build is something that's going to happen over time. We've got to continue to build on that. We're going to continue to be better leaders. And us as realtors, it's super tough for us to be leaders because we like everyone. We want to like everyone. And unfortunately, sometimes we've got to be a little tougher um, into making sure that we're good leaders. So it's really tough, I think, as us as realtors. I think on the lender side, they're much stronger in leaders. So I, it's a really an honor to be here with Josh, and he's going to bring a lot of value to this class. And the things we're going to focus on are these three things that I think you can see up on the screen now because I see it. Can they see that up on the screen? Good. So when Josh and I were talking about this class, these are the three things we want to focus on and which I think are the three most important things um, to be good leaders. So really, we need to figure out what do you want, how you'll do it, and how you keep it. And those are going to be the three things that we focus on, all right? And we are going to start with a leadership test, but I'm going to kick it over to Josh real quick. Um, Josh. Yes, sir. Uh, I got to tell you, man, you crushed it this morning, Philly. Thank so, you. Thank you. Uh, I, I wish I was on the stage with you. Um, I will remember to sit next time, but <laughs> I hate that I'm not around to see you guys and hug you guys and have drinks with you guys, maybe one or two. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I love how this little group is all stepping up and still getting it done. Um, I'm going to tell you a story that I assume didn't happen to any of the rest of you over the last seven weeks. But I'll tell you, six weeks ago, I woke up at two in the morning and I was uh, sweating and I never wake up. I meet one of those guys, I sleep three, four hours a night. I go to sleep late. I wake up early. But when I sleep, I sleep really, really soundly. And here I was. I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning. My heart was jumping on my chest. And uh, I couldn't figure out what it was. And I literally was unable to go back to sleep. And so, when I start, you know, I'm a, a weird cerebral guy. And I started thinking through and trying to kind of identify what I thought might have been the problem. And, you know, of course, there's the social distancing thing, and I love people. You know, that was part of it. Uh, one thing, and I, and I uh, for sure um, see a little God's joke in all this, that one of my key, in fact, my key employee, my team captain, actually resigned a week before we all went to work from home. Uh, and, by the way, I'm supposed to teach you about leadership and keeping people. Um, so I see, I see the humor in all that, but that was happening. My workload went up. I'm worried about the rest of my team's workload. Um, I'm working from home in a strange environment. My habits went to the wayside and not doing was that I was not leading in the moment. 
Um, you know, this is one week into a new world that we're all experiencing. And it was my opportunity to shine as a leader. And I felt like I was not leading well. I felt like I was reacting to everything. I was doing everything was take uh, to get the job done. Like so many of you A players do, you just kind of roll up the sleeves and get it done. But leading people through a, a, a difficult time is much more different, different than telling people about, about leading. And so I beat myself up a lot because I don't know, I've only been taking leadership classes and reading books about leadership for only about 15 years so far. Of course, I called it my mentor and my mentor reminded me that, uh, the good news is you'll know how good of a leader are, uh, you are when you die. Hopefully you have 50 more years of leadership. How many people show up to your funeral? You know if you led pretty well or not. Until then, keep working on it. And I think that that's a good way to start. Originally, um, Hunter and I were supposed to teach a different type of leadership class. You know, as we all had a about face uh, two months ago, uh, the titles change and the teammates change. I'm really excited to do this with Phil. But one of the things that Phil and I wanted to bring to you guys was a leadership test that Hunter developed uh, while we were going through our January prep for, for this class. Now, I want you to all turn to page 145, and uh, I'll read through it in case you're looking at a small screen, but hopefully you'll have your books. And at 145, I just want to take a minute to walk through this. And just like the course score test at the very end of every summit, where it's a great little roadmap, you've got to be brutally honest with yourself. What I want you to do is check yes only if you do it all the time, and check no if you fail to do it every once in a while or quite often where you don't do it at all. So I'll read through it. Just keep up. I only want to spend a minute on this. We have a lot to cover. But do you actually have a daily or weekly team meeting with a set agenda and set start time? Yes or no? Do you have purposeful annual reviews with each team member without them having to ask? Do you proactively offer compensation raises when deserved before it's asked? Do you have roles, responsibilities, and metrics for each team member? Does each team member know their roles, responsibilities, and metrics? Great little test when you get home for that one, guys. Just go ahead and ask them what their top three job duties are and how they're measured. And if their answers are different than what you think they are, there's a problem. Does your team understand your vision? Do you review your team's metrics on a consistent basis? Do you have a set interview process to ensure you're hiring the right people, personality type, skills test, and detailed reference checklist? Keyword there is, is there an actual process behind it, or are you winging it? Do you have a set progressive disciplinary process, verbal warnings, written warnings, and termination? Or are you winging it? Do you know the names of your team members, spouses, partners, and children? All of them. Do you celebrate and acknowledge your team members' birthdays? Do you know and understand the the personal goals of your team members, what they want to be doing in one to three years? Do you delegate to your team who, what, when, where, why, and how with really good specific instructions, or are you omitting the why or the how? Do you do charity work with your team consistently, once every six months as a minimum? Do you train your employees consistently with purpose? 
Consistency, by the way, means there's a uh, training schedule that's recurring, weekly or monthly recurring training schedule. Do you eat with your team members at least once a month? I want you to tally them up. Best score is 15. And just for the sake of argument, I would like everyone to post their scores for some transparency. Put them in the chat. Yeah, go ahead and put them in the chat. Just go ahead and post them. Josh, while they're putting them in there, what did you get? I got a 12. Cool. I got I got an 11. I mean, and I think, you know, when you and I were talking about this, too, it's what Rick brought up earlier. It's process. If you don't have a process, it's not going to be yes all the time. That's so exactly you, right. And I'll, I'll tell you that when, uh, when Phil and I had multiple conversations, probably more preparation for this class than I've done in 10 years, simply because it's uncomfortable. We're doing something new, right? Uh, but the one key element that we went back to again and again and again and why we decided that we needed to break it down into what do you want, how do you get it, and how do you keep it, is because some of the overlaps that we both do well is processes behind it. It happens all the time. And so I really wanted to start with that, and Phil and I wanted to go through that leadership test with you in the first place because – Here's probably the good news. By the way, Phil, in the, in the chat, have you seen anyone that put down the 15 yet? Yeah, I don't know, Marvin. Any 15s? Any perfect scores? We saw 14, but no 15. Yet. Okay, so here's what we're seeing so far. About 20% are under 5. About 60% are between 6 and 10. And about 20% are doing pretty well, 11 plus. So regardless of where you are, here's the reminder for all of you. I think that leadership is a work in progress. We will slip. We will hopefully learn from it, and we'll try again and do better. Okay? So let's work on the, the first step, and uh, uh, which is the what do you want. And there's only a few key elements that I think is really important. We're going to try and keep it to 15 minutes each segment and open up for Q&A after each segment of these three. So please feel free to put some questions in the chat box as we go through this. We'll try and address as many as we can. Bill and I will address all missing questions afterwards if needed. But the main things I want to remind people is uh, you start with the book Raving Fans. And the the reminder is, is that if you think about the bracelets, the three bracelets are identify first what you want, then look at what everyone wants and try to deliver a plus one experience above all else. But the key to that book and so many others is the understanding that you have to first identify what it is that you want. And there's a lot of ways to look at this, but start with the likes and dislikes list. Start with what are some key elements of teammates and team structures and personality traits and things like that? What are some key elements? When you look at your best employees, start defining the commonalities between the attitudes and the behaviors. Think about the adjectives that describe those people and write them down a long list. And the same thing if you think back to every person you've ever laid off ever or that's ever quit you ever, or that you just don't like, try to look for some commonalities in those likes and dislikes for those people as well. And what happens over time is you can, you can, if you start paying closer attention to it, you can start to establish what, what I consider your non-negotiable lists. And one of the best things about being a leader, the leader of your company, the leader of your team, the leader of whatever, your family, is you don't have to be apologetic about what it is you want. When you look at Rick, I don't see Rick apologizing for what he wants. He's really clear about he wants to help people make more money, 
He wants to help people save more money. He wants to help people give more money. And if you're not on board for that, it's okay. You're not a great fit. He wants people to follow a system and structure and listen to direction. And if you don't want to, that's okay. It's not a great fit. Go give your money somewhere else. He's unapologetic about it because he's really clear what he wants it as, wants as a leader. And my question to each of you would be, if I were to ask your teams individually what it is that you want out of the team, would they give a consistent answer about you? And if not, this gives us some reasons to work on this area. We all talk about culture all the time. There's a million different – I had a, a conversation with Oleg, I think, that came out a, a week ago in the last summit. I've had several different leadership conversations about core values. But the whole point of going back to the likes and dislikes list and really deciding what your non-negotiables are is to establish what your core values are. When you understand what your core values are, this is the basis of everything of how you should hire, how you should fire, the process for writing people up, the process for recognizing individuals within your team. But you've got to come up with your core values. There's an example of KPs in uh, on page – let me give you the exact page. Uh, KPs is on page uh, 130, if you're looking for an example. Mine has not changed in seven years. It's, it's solid SLID, serve others, outstanding attitude, learn and grow, incredible initiative, and dream big. If my people have those five, they stay with me long-term employment. Five to ten years. If they don't have one of those key elements, it doesn't work out at some point. So remember to work on your core values and be non uh, or unapologetic about what it is that you want. The last thing that I would say about identifying what it is that you want is you have to understand that there is a story being written about you, about your team, about what the team thinks or the industry thinks that your future is and where you're going, and you are writing that story or somebody else is writing that story for you. Okay? So think about the the uh, lack of communication we have around a change of circumstance. Uh, I'll use all of us in this group are lenders. If any of you spoke with your owner, I happen to fall on the ownership and lending loan officer side, but if you spoke to your loan, uh, your lenders, the uh, sorry, the owners, six weeks ago, 30 days ago, there's some real panic in this industry about the future, right? What's happening with these margin calls? What's going to happen with these forbearances? The company's leaderships that did not address those issues were getting the noise of all the other companies and other loan officers, which basically made it seem like, holy crap, our company is about to go out of business. The story was being created. It was just a a question of who is creating the story. Those companies, hopefully most of your company's leaders, got into a more frequent communication chain to explain the health of the company, why products were changing or going away, why credit scores needed to be increased. Because once you understood it, once we all understood it as a group, we could get on board with their story. When you think about your team, this goes back to the vision conversation, which is critical in the growth of a team. Where are you going? How are you going to get there? 
what is each employee's roles in that future today and tomorrow, and answer the question of what's in it for them. The story of you not, for example, one of those leadership questions was having an annual review to talk about, or uh, second question was understanding the goals of one in three years. So you not addressing it, their story might literally mean you don't care about me, or you would have asked me, or you would have talked to me, or you would have given me a raise. And you absolutely could care bunches for your, your family, your, your team, but you're just super busy. So remember, you've got to work on that vision and talk about it often. I was reminded by one of my loan officers, that's one of my peer group here in the core, Nikki, literally three hours ago. We had a great month. And uh, Nikki was asking me, why do, why do we think we have such a great month as a company? And I had a simple response. If we do 400 loans to the company, we break even. If we do 500 loans to the company, we make lots of money. We had our best unit month ever. We closed like 570 as a company last month. We crushed it. And she said, that sounds like a pretty damn good battle cry. Why don't you tell the loan officers that we just need to at least at 500 loans every single month? That's such an easy thing for us to do and such an easy thing to miss. And so when we think about the vision, yes, I know that Dan and I at our company have spoken about 500 is a magic number for company, but we probably haven't spoken about it regularly enough. When you think about your team, I'm sure you've all spoken about the full-time loans per body. Three loans per body, you're profitable. Less than two loans per body, you're probably not profitable. But you might have not spoken about that for six months. So once you create that vision and direction, now we've got to talk about it all the time. Phil, I'd love to know what kind of processes you put in place around this to identify what it is that you want. Perfect. Thanks, Josh. Um, and you guys, if there's any questions you want on this little section um, about what you want, feel free to start putting them in there. I'm going to continue to talk so that, that those questions can start filling up in there. Um, Josh talked about obviously knowing what you want. I think you have to have it in writing. He also talked about conveying it, you know, talking about it all the time. The other thing we do, we have to live it. We have to do it. We are super contagious as leaders, especially now. Josh talked about his issues now. I mean, they're going to see how we react and act to what's going on now. And if we're not living our core values, your team is not going to follow you and do that. All right. You can deteriorate your culture just like that. So since I got late to this class, my um, my core values weren't added in there. So I just wanted to, to tell you mine. It's integrity. Trust, accountability, and loyalty. Those are the four things that are our core values. We, again, also have our mission statement. And our mission statement is visually in every office. It's big when you come in my office. If you've been to my office, you've seen it. And we have our vision. So we have that there visually so they can see it. We talk about it in all of our meetings when we have our annual review meeting um, off-site we obviously go over that again. That's what we start every one of our main, not, not our daily meetings. When we have our annual meetings, we talk about it. We're talking about it in our daily meetings also. But then we have to live it. Roy said something in one of our previous meetings that your behavior should demonstrate your beliefs. That is so true. If you haven't written it, written it down, write it down. 
And Josh talked about people telling your story. That's how they're going to tell your story. All right. If you're living your beliefs, that's how they're going to tell your story. So that's the one thing that I pride myself on. Um, no matter what we got going on, no matter if we do have that fear, especially now of the uncertainty and not knowing what's going on, we have to be confident. We have to be strong. We have to be living what we want. Because if we're not living what we want, our team is definitely not going to be living what we want. All right. And raving fans, Josh talked about that. Um, that's one of the first books that all of my employees reads. And we'll go back to it many times. So if you're not doing that, have your team read Raving Fans. If you haven't done that already, I know many of us have read it, but a lot of these books that we read, we need to pass those on to our team and making sure they're reading that. So have your team read Raving Fans. I know we do it. I think Josh does the same. Um, so Marvin, do we have any questions popping up there on um, what do you um, want? The only question we have right now is from James Ferguson. He says, Josh, do you see a problem checking in with our team quarterly versus annually? Josh, do you want to feel that? Uh, I think what I, I think I heard the question is uh, how often quarterly versus annually. Do we talk about that? Yes. Is that what the question was? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I believe you should actually talk about uh, your, the vision of your team and the, the main roles on a monthly basis at minimum. Um, I th- you know, when you really get down to culture, uh, core values, and vision, those things change, right? Like, let's just be honest. January 1st versus April 1st, I'm pretty sure the vision of what this year looked like changed dramatically. So if we, the last time we had a team meeting to talk about the vision, direction, the culture was in December when we were all together and the best laid plans where we're going to eat together and do potlucks every single month. We're going to go on team outings every single month. And that was the plan. And you haven't addressed the plan again since then, big mistake. So that's why I believe it's got to be a monthly at minimum. Quarterly would be acceptable, I guess, would be a best, a best answer. Um, when you're going through it, you, you have permission to change the direction and trajectory, right? You are driving the bus. You are the boss. You want their input. We have the permission to change it. So, for example, maybe your goal as a loan officer was 30 deals a month this year. And all of a sudden, shoot, the leads are raining. I mean, that's just the truth. So now you're going to have a conversation that says, hey, listen, we want to make hay while the sun shines and take care of a few of our past clients and some refis too. What's the max that we think we can do as a team and give amazing service? And let the team talk about it. You can edge them up or agree with them, but maybe that number turns to 40. But we're going to talk about that and say, hey, listen, if that's 40, we're going to stick at 40 and no more than 40. And once we hit the 40, we're going to hand off those deals or whatever. But you have permission to change those numbers, change direction, and talk about culture. So if you're missing something in core values, if there's a miss, a recent loss, we have to address those things uh, and explain why it didn't work out. If you had to let somebody go or uh, what was missing if somebody uh, – what was your failure as a leader if somebody left, Right. Um, that's my answer, though, is, is mostly is ideal. So, Josh, no, I, I think that's um, perfect because, obviously, things come up. We can't wait if, you like, you had an employee leave. You can't wait, you know, quarterly or annually. I mean, I think we always have to talk about it, but especially when there's changes, you have to bring that up and, obviously, you know, discuss what you want because it, it might change. It might change. So I think if you have, and especially going what we're going through now, we're going to see plenty more changes, I think, through the end of the year. 
And we're going to have to adapt as leaders. But I think as we're doing that in every situation, I think you bring these three questions up of what do you want, how will you do it, and how will you keep it? So for me and my team, I want a team that works together as a family, that produces at a high level, and provides an amazing client experience. So the way to do that is I treat my team as a family so that they can work together and, and loyalty is huge. Um, one of my students came in and asked why my people work at our company and why they work with us. I have some that drive an hour past plenty of other real estate companies to come work for me. And they pretty much said they feel like a family and everyone here has their back. If they're not here, something happens, they know someone's going to pick up their work. And that has taken time. That didn't happen immediately. But if you're not living it, it's not going to happen amongst your team. So you have to live it. And your team, it'll come up within your team, too. We have other questions, Marvin? Uh, Brad Graves said, I'm terrible at training. Can you guys share how, when, and content? So I think that that brings us into our next question, how you, how you do it. Is there any other questions on, on this side? Um, we can jump into the next one. Um, right. Tyler's asking about... For Josh, what does his hiring process look like? So that's, again, let's move on to the next one, Josh. Do you think we should move on? Because that's really how we're doing it is next, right? You guys are leading us right into the next section. I love it. So the question is how you do it, right? So now yeah. you've, you've now identified what it is that you do want. Uh, I, remember, don't do this in a vacuum. Have this conversation with your existing team. Make sure they're on board. And part of training this into people, if, you're, if it's an about face, is you give them quizzes. Literally on a weekly basis, when I first created Solid, once a week I would just randomly walk through and say, hey, what does L stand for? What does D stand for? And if people got it right, I'd give them a little bonus or take them out to lunch or whatever. If they got it wrong, I'd say, get it right next week, right? Now we're down to the next step, which is, though, how do you do it moving forward? And the key here is process, process, process. And there's four areas I think are super important to getting this uh, four processes you need to develop. I will be emailing two of these uh, to the core concierge that you guys can reach out to afterwards uh, that are my personal ones. The, the first process you have to create is a recruiting process. The second one is a selection process. The third one is an onboarding process. And the fourth one, I think, is an ongoing training process. Okay, let me say that again. Recruiting, selection, onboarding, and training. Okay, so when I think about recruiting, the first thing that I've got to re- remember is that uh, you should be, if you don't currently, going back to JJ's create time of important events, one thing that I'm non-negotiable on is I recruit at least one hour a week every week for as long as I'm alive, for about seven years now. So remember, I lost that teammate about six weeks ago. I've already hired one three weeks ago, and I'm already making a second offer for somebody else uh, while I'm here, um, all solved. It's not because I wasn't looking until six weeks ago. I'm constantly looking, and that way I've got a few people I can reach out to in a pinch, and I just got lucky that some of them can start sooner rather than later, right? But the process, when you get down to it, of how you do the interviews and and what's at stake in those is super important. If you don't have, and there's an example, by the way, uh, of, of great questions to ask that's in our handouts here, But in interviewing, the key is to ask behavioral questions around your core values. 
That is the best process I can give you. So we talk about we don't want to lead the witness and say something like, hey, I like people that give really great service. So tell me an, an example of some time that you served a client. Like, that's stupid, right? Don't lead the witness. Um, if you're a cop interviewing somebody, you're not going to say, hey, listen, we heard that your neighbor got killed, so that's why we want to know where you were last night. That's not what, that's not what you say, right? So create those behavioral questions around your core values and then you can't be the only person interview. Our process currently is I always interview first and I make the offer at the end. In between, I've got two more steps. The second step is my managers must interview together at least two people that are going to ask additional behavioral questions. But what they're listening for between the lines, what they're listening for is, is this a core value match? We're all optimists. We're salespeople. If you're like me, you see the best in people, you're like, hell yeah, that's a great person to hire. Man, that bartender's awesome. We see the best in people, right? What we've got to have is some uh, the, the questions and the process behind it, skills tests. Uh, we do an email that must be sent. Just say, we tell them, write a thank you letter to Josh after the first, inter- uh, after the first uh, meeting. It is not to say thank you to me. It's to see if you can read and write. You, you know, you, uh, nim, can poop, right? It's crazy how punctuation and grammar shows up or doesn't in a simple email. And if they're going to be contacting my clients and my agents, I, I want them to be able to be a good representation of me, right? It's an extension of me and my team. And it's what I want or it's not, right? When I have my, I have my two, um, Managers meet with them next. And what we talk about, and again, I'll give the entire breakdown of what we're looking for. Uh, you can ask the concierge after the court, and I'll, I'll give it the entire segmenting process. Mm-hmm. What we're going through is understand their pay, understand what they're looking for, why they're looking for a job. We go through their goals. We go through our, the culture. Uh, we go through um, our vision, our history, where we're going and what they're gonna, what the piece of the pie is for them. We're talking about that vision and that, uh, those core values and weaving it through the three separate interviews. The last interview is a interview with the entire team for lunch, but it's not as a interview. It is a lunch. And the idea is, Hey, congratulations, Michael. You made the team. We want to introduce you to everybody else. We're going to set up a virtual lunch now and they have lunch. And they think that they made it, but people will say some weird stuff when they don't, when they think they've already made the team, uh, trying to impress or whatever else. So I can't tell you how many times that the third interview, which they didn't think was an interview, was the one that cost them the job, but it saved me a lot of heartache, right? So when you think about that, all I'm trying to get to is, do you have a process that you follow? A script, if you uh, uh, or a checklist that you follow for the recruiting side, the selection side, and then once you get the onboarding, what are you doing? I love that um, that Phil brought up the fact that he makes all of his teams read raving fans. I'll give you five or six of the pieces of the process for our onboarding. I sent flowers a week before my person started to their house. Okay. When they, uh, we make sure that the IT is all done, the passwords are done, 
we upload this, the signatures to their uh, outlooks that we know we're going to want to use as a team anyways. We even go so far as to go into the, um, uh, the frequently asked uh, questions and the, um, uh, the searches, like for Bear County Appraisal District, and we pre-program that in the history into their computer so they don't have to do all that stuff that takes time when somebody's onboarding, right? When they show up the first day on the job, there's a present. The first day on the job, they meet with me. We all have lunch together. The, uh, the, the, the Friday, the first Friday, we have lunch again. Uh, we get another three books that we give every employee that they must read. They must also send an end-of-day recap of what they learned. And they must also interview every single person on the team within the first two weeks, something that they set up, they schedule, and they respond about what they learned that this person does. Because the great way to find out, if you heard me when I said you have a job to do in two weeks, I can tell you that a few past employees that didn't make it very far didn't remember to schedule all those first interviews in the first two weeks. So you got lots of crap going on. Guess what? It's the mortgage insurance, mortgage business. We all have a lot of crap that's going on all the time. So those are the things that you put in or process that you follow so that you get these warning signs that go up, these little red flags along the way, because we know the earlier we catch those things, the better chance of success, whether it's a non-hire or a great onboard experience with the best chance of success for this person moving forward, right? The ongoing training is mandatory. Um, Rick will tell you, in general, three 30-minute sessions a week in, in stop, minimum, minimum. Our first 30 days on the job, and yes, we onboard somebody during this time, so it's all virtual included. Every hour of the day, 40 hours a week is accounted for where they're shadowing, training, reading, taking tests, doing something because we built out our 30-day uh, uh, training schedule for a new onboard. But that doesn't end ever. You guys are all here to learn because we all have stuff to learn always. So I love that Phil also said that we get all this inherent knowledge from the books we read, the YouTubes we watch, and the core events that we attend, and then we keep it for ourselves and we don't tell anyone. The stupidest thing we could possibly do. So one of the best advice I could give all of you that are current core students is you should have a team meeting immediately following every core me, uh, every core coaching se- uh, session. So if your course coaching session is Thursday at 2, every Thursday at 3, you should download what you learned, what went well, what didn't go well. Hey, I just got yelled at by JJ, my current coach, because I didn't get enough CCRs. Guess what? We got more CCRs the next two weeks, right? So it's immediate download and dissemination of the information. That's building culture that builds loyalty. Because, again, if you're on my team, we love to learn and grow. So if I love to learn and grow, it's a great way to keep people and retain people. And let me say this really interesting fact. All you legacy people that are on this call, I saw a few of you, you know this to be true. My top, so this, uh, I started a leadership training within my team open to anyone once a month that I train for one hour, just leadership principles. We do book reviews, things like that. Once a month ongoing, anyone can show up, including my secretary, including the brand-new employee, uh, LP1 or LP2. doesn't matter. 
because you can be a leader no matter what your station is on this team. Guess which five most senior people on my team are today? And I've been doing this for probably four or five years. The five people, last five standing, most important, most valuable to my team today are the same five that I've been pouring into with leadership skills for the last five years. Okay? A 10-year, 10-year, a 9-year tenure, two six-years and one five. Those are the people that are managing and running my team right now. And one was a secretary, one was an LP2, and now these are my team captains, right? So think about that as you go forward. But those are the four processes that you want to be work, uh, working on uh, to work on how do you get what you want. It doesn't just happen. you got to put the work in. Phil, what other things do you have to add to this, buddy? Perfect, Josh. I thought that was great. The part that I wrote down was that luncheon interview. I think you're exactly right. When they feel comfortable and they drop their guard down, it opens up a lot. I wrote that down. I'm adding it. Um, I like the four steps. We do the four steps also. Recruiting, my recruiting has definitely changed from when I started to now. Um, my recruiting initially was always let's hire some experienced people as I didn't have the time to train as I was starting out, um, but it's been night and day. I've noticed that people who have experience, for the most part, come with bad habits. I want them trained the way I want them trained. It's taken some time to get that training process, but we now have it down. And it goes back to, again, process that we started with and that we you've been talking about. It. You have steps in the process. So recruiting, again, you need to know who you want to recruit. Um, Josh really didn't touch much on that. But really, find out who you want to recruit and go after the right people initially, then putting them through that interview process. Um, so my interview process um, is a little different than Josh's. Um, my director of operations does the first interview. Um, I like everyone, so I am last. Okay, If they get through everyone else, because I would just hire everyone. So um, director of operations is first. Then we do the team interviews. Um, then I have the last interview. Um, then we do a download meeting, and everyone has to be on board with the hire. That goes back to culture, having their buy-in. You know, Josh said he had it in his process too, but that's having the buy-in. If they're going to be part of the interview process, you're trusting them with that. And if you want to create a family environment, a team that works together, you need their buy-in from the initial part. Because if they're on your team and you want them, you're going to want this other person to be part of that. And the way to do that is have them part of your interview process. If you don't have that, I would change it immediately. All right? That's going to be huge, having your team part of your selection or interviewing process. Same thing with onboarding. We um, also have them interview every one of our team members just so that they know what everyone does. They don't need to know just their job. So if someone comes in and has a question, they might not know how to handle it, but they need to know who on the team handles that, all right? If they're going to, again, work together, we continue that training and cross-training so that if we have someone that is out, um, whether, you know, they're out for sickness, maternity leave, whatever it may be, we can have someone sub right into that position. So we always have someone that subs for someone when they're out. So the way to do that is cross-training. So if you're not doing that, that goes back with the onboard training. I love shadow training, too. Um, each one of our team members um, takes a part of the training. 
I've been doing even more training now with my current team because we're doing buyer consultations and listing consultations on video, virtually. So I'm able to sit in and hear them where I'm not at every buyer consultation that they're doing. So we're able to grow even during this times and continue to train even now, even more so. So we're going to use that even more. We're going to do more of our virtual buyer consultations and myself and my sales manager are going to be on some of those calls so we can hear what's going on. Um, and when we're negotiating repairs, we're doing those virtually also. So myself and my closing coordinators can be on those calls and we can train. They can learn. And sometimes shadowing us, they can learn. If you're going to make the call, have them be on the call, have them be on there virtually, they're going to learn from you. The more they're around you, they're going to they're going to follow in your footsteps and continue to grow. Josh talked about a lot of his people that have grown with him in his company. They've probably been around him the longest and the most. And that's why he's seen them grow, um, which is which is totally huge. So that covered all those same topics, the recruiting, the selection process, onboarding and the training is consistent. I train in every daily team meeting. If I have something that comes up where we can role play, I role play right then and there in the team meeting. My team hates it, and I know your team probably does too. Maybe if you hate it, because I know I've, I've role played with you and you don't like it, but role playing is what's going to get them to learn, and you can do that right in the daily team meeting. I would rather have them mess up in a, in a daily team meeting role play training than with the client. So role play is another, another big key. You guys can have some more questions. Any questions pop up there, Marvin? Um, Shannon Chico wants to know, what are you doing right now for your team while they're working from home, homeschooling, et cetera? Uh, they're, they're leading the witnesses. That's the next section. I love it. There you, you go. Yep. And there's a couple more questions, too. Um, Holly wanted to know, how soon should she be looking to get the next person on her bench? So that's, that is a, that's a great question, too. So at what we do when we're hiring, we're always looking at your dashboard and, you know, the way I look at it is you have to be over your dashboard two months in a row enough to cover that salary. So I don't like a bench if you're not over your dashboard. Um, so you really need to see where you're at. And I know we're in a lot of transition and unknown right now, Holly. So if you're over your dashboard and you have a seat on the bus that needs to be filled, but I don't think we're at a point where we need um, – and how, is that Holly Couture? Um Yeah. So obviously on the real estate side, I don't think we need a bench right now. I know on the lending side, they're in a refi boom, whole different world. I don't think we need a bench right now on the real estate side unless you're you're over your dashboard. I'm putting extra hours in right now. My team is working from home. Um, I do some showings and some buyer consultations, but I've been getting out and about now that we can finally get out. I've been going stir crazy, so I don't care. I'll show as many buyers as they want to get outside of the house. We're finally essential so I'm showing houses too. So I'm taking up some of that slack to not have to hire, have my people. Um, obviously, when we're talking about the next step of how we keep it, you really have to take care of your people. And this is the next step in there. Any other questions under this section, Marvin? Uh, yes. Uh, Ken wanted to know, uh, to please give an example of a behavioral question related to a core value. So my director of operation is usually really good at that, and she handles that. I usually just have the third one where I like it. So, Josh, I'm going to pass that question on to you. Yeah, sure. So um, <laughs> so, may, so let's just use my learn and grow as one of my values, right? So uh, I, would, I would ask uh, basic questions around, like, out of curiosity, was it that you do it on your spare time? 
um, that's a starting point because if they talk about family, that's great. has nothing to do with the core value. But when you ask that question, sometimes people will tell you that they're a bookworm. And then you can say, well, out of curiosity, what kind of books do you read? And most will say fiction, and some will say, actually, I read self-help books. Um, so it's a constant pulling of the string to see if you can get where you want to get to. Um, and it doesn't always, uh, you know, you're also listening for the, the answer, so sometimes you'll kid yourself. Another one might be uh, incredible initiative, right? So uh, how many hours a week did you work at your last job? Forty. Cool. Um, uh, tell me about uh, your start and stop time. Well, we do, uh, usually it started at 9 o'clock. Okay, cool. So what, what, did you, what did your beginning of your day look like? And if they say, well, we get in at 9 o'clock and, and move on, you're not really getting anything about work ethic or incredible initiative. But some people will tell you things like, well, actually, I get, get, usually get to work about 8.45. What I do is I go through all my emails. So I'm ready for the day. And then uh, I, I get the, all my metrics ready to go for my team meeting. We have a team meeting from 9 9.30. And at the end of the day, I usually try to wrap up around 4.30. And then before I leave, what I do is I ask everyone if there's anything I can help with. Um, that is literally what I would say if I was leaving uh, or if I was answering that question for somebody is the very last thing I do every single day for my team is I walk around and currently call them all and just ask, hey, is there anything extra I can do for you? Do you have any last leads I can call for you? Anything I can do for you? That is just who I am. That's taking initiative to help others around me, right? It also serves others, which is another core value. Um, but depending on what your core value is, you just come up with three or four or five behavioral questions, have your team do some as well, and just ask them and just listen. Just don't say what you're looking for, but it'll come out if you have a good discussion about uh, life events, behavioral questions, things like that. That's great. One of the, one of the questions that we ask, and it's more around sales, um, super tough question. I see Jim Bass on here. I know he's, he's been in my office and my director of operations asked him this question. So it's really, and it goes back to what Rick talked about earlier about finding the answer of finding a need and filling the need, right? And one of the questions is, I have an apple, two kids. They both want the apple. What do you do? Most will answer it this way. Cut it in half. Give it to both of them. They're both still crying. And I stop with the question. Why are they crying? So I ask them. They say, ask me why. Well, the reason why, you didn't ask them the question. One of them just wanted the peel for an artwork. The other one said all they want to do is eat the apple without the peel. They don't like the peel. We don't ask the question. We can't sell. So that's a great sales question. Real tough. It's just interesting to see how they answer those questions. But behavioral ones are really good, too. So just find questions that are off the wall just to see how they'll answer it and see how they'll come up with it. So it's super it's super good with coming up with real question, real good questions with that process. So. Another question, uh, what's the flex on team members working from home versus office? Is that question now currently what we have going on? So right right now, um, we were non-essential for the longest time. We just became essential. Um, I have a few people with uh, uh, school-aged kids, which is going to be really difficult, and I think all of us are going to be dealing with this. I think the United States in general is going to be dealing with this, and it's a really difficult situation. So um, we have put it out there. 
um, finding out who needs to, to work from home and who can come in the office. We made it optional, so we are going to start next week having some of us filter in the office. And I'm thinking from what it looks like from our response, it's going to be 50-50. So it's tough to force everyone to come back, and it's, t- it's tough to say all of you can come back if you don't have kids. We've just made it optional on our team. Um, and some of the, some want to come home, come come to the office. They do not want to work at home. They hate working at home. They want to come into the office. So um, we're working through that right now, and I think that's going to be one of the ongoing issues and concerns. Josh, how are you handling work work from home, and how many do you have working from home? Everyone's working from home now. On my team, uh, we, I told them they don't have to go back till two weeks after our state goes back, which is in two weeks. So we'll be at home all May. Um, but I think that's worth talking about as we move on. I, I do want to, in the interest of time, move on to the last uh, point, if that's okay, because I think it covers is covered in a lot of this. Perfect. Uh, is it okay if I move on? Perfect. Okay. The last question is, you know, how do you keep it, right? Uh, which is how do you keep your culture? How do you uh, keep on driving? Um, and I, I think the best thing to do is I'm going to start with a statement. And I'm going to tell you a story because I think the key here is you got to show, don't tell. Show, don't tell, right? If I tell my wife I love her every single day, it turns out that I've had rocky parts in my marriage. But if I show her or do something for her every single day, she actually believes it. It's the same thing in leadership with your team and with your culture. If you, you know, I go back to the beginning here, which was, um, you know, I woke up at 2 in the morning, and the reason was I wasn't leading. So the first answer was I had to fix my own crap before I could ask, uh, you know, if I was struggling, I assumed a lot of my teammates were too. So what I did is I uh, started working out every day again. I started drinking a gallon of water a day, started meditating 15 minutes, started journaling every single morning, the same stuff I was doing when I was working at the office. And after I did it for two weeks and I told them about that in my team meetings, then I did a contest for my entire team. I put out five things they could do, vigorous work activities outside, reading, meditating, uh, workout, and quality time with your spouse after hours. I put those out there, pick two, and if you do that consistently uh, five days a week, two weeks in a row, I'll send wine to your house because God knows everybody needs wine right now, right? So just remember the first answer is show, don't tell, okay? Because here's the real answer, and I've been reminded this by every mentor that ever cared about me ever, and what we know is that The more you lead, the more people are watching when you don't know it. There's a great song by Rodney Atkins for you country folks out there uh, watching you. It talks about this little boy that starts cursing because daddy was cursing, right? And all the good and bad of that. I'll tell you, this is a true story. It's kind of crazy to me. Uh, One of my most proud moments at the same time was like having one of those, holy crap, I can't believe that just happened. Um, You know, I've got a middle boy. So he has an older sister and a younger sister. And as he's coming up, you know, at age two and three and four, he's pretty handsy. And one of my hard wires is you do not hit a girl. End of story. This is not okay, even for a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old. So whenever my, my son would get handsy with, my, with his older sister, younger sister, I would get real loud and I would spank him. So if you don't like spanking, I apologize, but we spank in my household. Fast forward about four years, and uh, my son was playing on a soccer team, and there was one girl on the soccer team. And all boys, one girl. This girl was a stud, by the way. But for whatever reason, there was a super mean kid on the other team. 
And right in front of all of us, we're all sitting in the, in the bleachers watching our kids. And, you know, there's half of them are, are picking flowers. We've been on those sports teams before. And all of a sudden, this kid who's by the girl and is nowhere close to the ball, nowhere close, literally just clocks the girl and knocks her off her feet. Okay? And as all of us parents are sucking in, like, <gasps> trying to figure out whose kid this is, out of nowhere, my son blindsides the kid, stands over his lifeless body, and points him and says, you don't hit girls. And I was like, touchdown, the most proud moment of my life. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, son, you have to go out the field, you're still in trouble, but I'm so proud of you, right? And the truth is, is that when you get to this leadership of how do you keep it, this is the walking the walk because people are watching us even when we don't know. We know that we can walk in in a bad mood, and for sure it's going to affect the rest of the mood of our entire team. We can be in a positive mood even when the, when the roof is crumbling around us and the team just seems to rally and get behind you a little bit better, right? And so especially in adverse times like this, and that's why I had to fix myself six weeks ago, that if you've ever wanted to, whether you chose to, you are one, you're going to be a leader, you don't have the luxury of having a bad day. That is not allowed. They can bitch up to you. You do not have permission to go downhill, right? So you talk to your coach, you talk to your mentors, you talk to your spouse, and you let off that steam. But at the end of the day, when it comes to leading, you don't have permission to have a bad day. So you start by fixing yourself first, lead by example, bring them behind you. When I think about the actual ongoing events that I do to try and keep a heart, keep um, my culture tight and my vision strong and the direction moving forward, uh, I'll list off a few things just in the interest of time. I'm going to dive in just, just at three. We do a Friday. So right now, every Friday, we do a Friday happy hour virtually with my entire team. Jeremy Forcier does comedy shows. J.J. Mazzo is doing uh, – um, I, I hired a bartender to teach people how to do, make their own drinks at home. Like just fun stuff to keep it, to keep it alive. Uh, I, I'm sending – I do potlucks monthly. So instead right now I'm sending food to their house weekly to take care of my team. Uh, we do the semi-annual staycations. We do the annual vacations. If you play together, you will stay together. All of us greedy loan officers and realtors, we go on these great sales trips and we leave the production staff who did the work behind. That's a mistake. So bring those people along with you. If you're being recognized in the company, bring them on or bring them up. Or if you get a dragon, send a picture back to your team and say, this is because of you. Great job, everybody. Right? Um, blow up Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate. But don't be cheap. This is a time to love on your people. Blow up birthdays. Care about them. And a real good secret is love on the spouses of your teammates. Okay? The three things that I would say that are super important for me right now and have been for years, I have an ongoing, recurring weekly lunch with a team member. So right now I've got seven people on my team. Every single week, one of them is having a lunch with me. Specifically, I focus on four questions for this as I go through my hour lunch. Because we say that our team's the most important thing, but do we act like it? We'll give all of our time to realtors. 
or builders or business partners, we got to give quality time to our people. So what's going on in your life? Actually ask and find out and care about what's going on. Well, not well. You can find out about stressors that's going on that you didn't know about. Um, how can I help you? Meaning how can I help you accomplish what you want? How can I remove an obstacle if you're really stressed out or having a conflict with somebody on the, on the team or with a, a client or agent, right? Um, how is the team culture? I ask that with every single one-on-one lunch because if there's a problem, the team doesn't tell the leader till later. So if you ask early enough, they'll find out there's conflict on the, on the field and you can get it out, get in the mix faster. And then where do you want to be personally in one to three years? Because the more you're clear about what service, what somebody wants to be and where they want to go, the more you can help them get there. And as long as you are not the obstacle, they'll stay with you long term. One of the people that left thought that she couldn't have what she wanted staying with me. That was my failure. One of my LP2s wants to be an underwriter. A month ago, I told her, hey, we're going to do junior underwriting training in December. I would love for you to stay on my team forever. But if you want that job, I will make sure you get it. So far, she says she wants a job. She wants to stay with me. But I want to make sure I'm clear about what she wants so I can help them achieve their own goals. Creating a culture committee was the second thing that was super important for my team. Because I'm not great at remembering birthdays, but I do care enough. So I put a big budget behind the culture committee so they can create parties, love on people, uh, birthdays. If there's a sickness or a death, they do, they love on a team member or referring partner. They do it because that's, some people are just better wired and notice those little details better than somebody like me. I work on it. I care about it, but I'm not perfect. So having a culture committee rally behind it, those people love that job. At the end of the day, uh, I'm going to finish my thoughts because we only have four minutes left, and I want Phil to finish with his. This is my perspective on leadership, and it was a meme that I read timely literally this morning. My team captain sent it to me. I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly what I needed. This is what it said. Life is like a camera. Just focus on what is important. Capture the good times. To develop from the bad times. And if things don't work out, take another picture. And that is leadership. Because you will know if you are a good leader, if you have a lot of people at your death. Outside of that, we will win, we will lose, but we will learn from it and grow. So that's the best advice I can give you. Bill, final thoughts. Josh, that was awesome. I have a ton of notes, so hopefully you guys have the same there. Um, a couple quick things. I love the one-on-one -on -one lunches. I started doing them. This pandemic happened. I'm writing it down to make sure that once we get back, I'm back at that. A couple other things that we do. We do a lot of fun stuff. We've done axe throwing. We get in a kickball league as a, as a team. We go out in the field and play kickball. Fun stuff to do. Um, some of the guys go and they're in a pool league and they play. We've done uh, mountain trips. Um, we do a lot of charity work together. We've done the gun range. It's funny because all, all the ladies were like, no, I don't want to do the gun range. They loved it. They want to do it again. So um, I have a lot of parties at my house. I know Carson earlier talked about having clients and stuff at his house. My team loves going to my house. We'll sometimes ask, hey, what do you want to do next for our team event? Everyone, especially summertime, I'm on the lake. They love. So entertain your team 
at your house, all right? Make sure you have them at your house. That's huge. Because if you're doing all these events for your clients, you need to do it for your team. It goes back to living what you want to live. So have those um, events. We've done bowling. We do spirit week. A ton of fun stuff. Um, Josh touched base on birthdays, too. Birthdays are huge. If we're... If we're taking care of our clients' birthdays and we want our team to help us take care of their birthdays, we need to take care of our team on their birthdays. So it's really what we want them to do to our clients, we have to do it to them too. Have events for them, have them over to your house, have specific happy hours just for them, honor them on their birthday and their family. Josh talks about that. Have an all about you for all of your team members if you don't. We have all about you for our clients. You need them for your team members. All right. I think after this class, once you guys go back and really retake this leadership test, I just foresee if you guys implement some of the stuff, you're going to get at least two, three, four, maybe five more check marks on that to be a yes on that leadership test. So I want you guys really to implement some of this stuff and go and really retake this test in a couple months and see where you're at. Um, that was my final thoughts. Look at your leadership test. Really take it again. Um, any questions there, Marvin? Let's wrap up. We got a couple minutes here. I see a couple minutes, right? We got two minutes left. Um, the question was asked about um, attributes of an executive assistant, like best attributes for one. So I I love disc testing. I love doing the disc test. So to me, um, I want to high ask someone that's that, that really wants that security, wants to take care of you. Um, I still like some C in that to be analytical, super organized, and super organized. Um, that's really what I'm looking for. I think the biggest struggle we have sometimes in our executive assistant, someone that's really watching and taking care of us, they need to have a little bit to push us to. I think some of them um, that are too high of an S don't want to push us along. They feel that, you know, we're the boss. They don't want to tell us what to do, um, but I've been here the last couple of days, and Ashley really just keeps Rick in line, and if you're looking for an assistant to keep you in line, I think they need to be just a little tougher you know, than a total high, high S. Um, that's just my overall opinion on if you're looking for someone that's a, an admin, um, someone that's going to be your executive assistant. So high S um, is really a super important, but enough to make sure they're pushing you along and keeping you in line. As so many of us, and I know J.J. talked about schedule and talked about his assistant that keeps them in line. If you've been to my office, you see the same thing. You need your team to keep you. We, we like to chase squirrels, all right? And even though we have our perfect schedule, if our assistants aren't there keeping us in line, won't be able to do it. So um, and one last question. Looks like we got a few seconds. All right. When hiring a loan officer, do you always hire based on minimum loan production? What criteria do you use? Josh, one last question for you, and we'll wrap it up. Uh, uh, for hiring loan officers, uh, I just like hungry people that uh, have a will-get-it-done-no-matter-what attitude based on what they've done in the past, right? There's just certain attributes you see. Like Rick always talks about uh, D1 athletes tend to do really well uh, because there's just such a level of requirements, grind, and coachability with a D1 athlete as an example. I also like people only that are the primary breadwinner, that they have to make it work. And if they've got a couple of kids, uh, fantastic, because go feed those babies. Those babies are expensive. Um, I don't like excuses, and I like people to admit where they're wrong. So one of the best questions I always ask is, tell me your biggest failure in life so far. Because 
Salespeople fail a lot. It's the ability to recover that matters to make a great salesperson. But salespeople uh, fail a lot. So that's one of my favorite questions to ask. Uh, then we just set expectations about where they need to be in production within the first year and the second year. And if you hire them, that's your job to get them to that production level. It's your failure otherwise. If you guys have um, other questions, I think you can keep putting them here in chat. Um, if not, come to the fireside chat. Um, obviously, there will be other people up there. Rick will be there if you have any leadership questions. Chad, Kendra. So if you have more leadership questions, feel free to ask. Josh is going to be, obviously, not here with us, but he'll be on there, too, if we have to bounce anything back to him. Um, so we appreciate you guys being here. Have a great rest of the day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. You've been listening to the Coors Sales Training Boot Camp. For registration information about our two-day business building summits, call 1-800-660-6670 or find us on the web at www.lacourtraining.com.